up to Romans chapter 10. Uh, at this time, too, the children are, are dismissed to, to Children's Church. And uh, we always appreciate Lorna, uh, oh, Helen today doing the children's ministry. Uh, that's right. It's normally Lorna, and we appreciate that. And Helen is doing it today for the Fellowship Sunday. So uh, take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, ro- open up to Romans chapter 10. Uh, we'll be in verses 14 through 17 uh, this morning. So please follow along uh, as we read uh, from Scripture. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we thank you for this day and we want to delight ourselves in you and give you praise and and honor and and delight in your word. I pray that as this passage is opened this morning to us, uh, that your Holy Spirit would be present, that your Holy Spirit would be living and active in our midst. And we pray that you would strengthen us in our faith, that you would encourage us, that you would, that you would build us up, and that you would give us a, a passion for the gospel and even for sharing uh, the gospel. Uh, and we just pray that you would give me the words to say this morning uh, in Jesus' precious name. Uh, amen. Uh, there is a quote that's out there that is often attributed uh, to St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, he did not, so far as we know, actually say this, uh, but it is so commonly used, I thought it would be helpful uh, to just use as an introduction this morning. And the quote which is often attributed to, to Francis is this, Preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. What would you say to that quote? Uh, How would you evaluate that quote? Preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. What do you think? Better question is, what does Scripture say? We're in a passage of Scripture that really answers that, that quote directly this morning. We are to preach the gospel at all times. But you can't preach the gospel without using words. It is impossible for people to come to faith in Jesus without someone taking the word of God. You need to hear the word of God to believe. And in order for you to hear the word of God, someone needs to take the word of God. And in order for them to take the word of God, someone needs to be sent. And so our point this morning is that it is impossible for people to come to faith in Jesus without someone taking the word of God. Now, what I don't mean by this is I don't mean that someone can't come to to, to saving faith through reading the Bible or through a tract. There are plenty of testimonies where the person did not have someone talking to them and for whatever reason they decided to open their Bible or even someone took a track. I know of one fellow that, that uh, someone just randomly handed him a track and he, out of that, started reading it and eventually made a profession of faith. So we're not talking about those circumstances, uh, but rather we are saying it is necessary 
necessary for the Word of God to be communicated in some way. And the most normal, natural means of communicating the Word of God is preaching it, or sharing it, or talking about it. People don't come to saving faith through osmosis. They won't just look at your life and say, oh, there's, there's something different. Now I'm going to get saved. They need to hear what they need to believe in in order to be saved. And of course we know the power of God works in salvation to bring people to saving faith. Of course we know that the Holy Spirit is active. But the way that God uses the normal means where He sends the Holy Spirit is someone is bringing or sharing with the person the Word of God. And so you and I can have this incredible confidence, not in ourselves when we share the Gospel, but in the Word of God. When you bring a Scripture, when you share John 3.16, the Holy Spirit uses that according to His will and brings people to saving faith. But you cannot have this attitude of just, when necessary, use words. It is always necessary in the sharing of the Gospel to use words. So first this morning, in order to believe the Gospel, you must hear the Gospel. Uh, Let me just pick up a little bit with the context of the verses that we read already. If you're following along in your Bible, look back at verse 9. Paul has said, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul is telling us what is the most basic message of salvation. Believe that Jesus is Lord. Confess that God raised him from the dead. That, of course, assumes you understand he went to the cross to die and pay the penalty for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4 says, the matters of first importance are that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day. This is the core of the Gospel. And Paul is saying, you need to believe that. And then going down through, he says in 10:13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That anyone who cries out to Jesus in prayer and says, I believe that He died on the cross for my sins, I confess my sins, and I believe that He is Savior and Lord. Anyone who just makes that cry, whether you're saying it publicly, whether you're saying it in a quiet prayer, when you're saying it at home, whether you're saying it at church, if you call on the name of the Lord in that way, you will be saved. That's all that it takes to receive salvation. That is the core of the message of the Gospel. And then Paul goes, he's he's told us, what do you need to do to be saved? And then he goes on and says, in verse 14, and how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? The very beginning of verse 14. The idea is, you cannot call on God, you cannot call on Jesus without Believing in Him. That when you are crying out and saying, I need you to save me, you have already seen something about Him. You have heard who He is and you say, yes, He died on the cross and I need this. That's what He means. You're you're not going to call or cry out if you have not believed. 
Calling on the name of the Lord is this idea of looking to Him for salvation. It entails prayer. But you're not going to pray for salvation unless you are seeing your need of a Savior. Unless you are seeing that Jesus is the sufficient Savior to meet all of your needs. Why is it that at Christmas season, little kids call out and write letters to Santa Claus to bring them presents? Because some little kids are told to believe that that's what you do for Christmas. And they do that because they sincerely think that. By analogy, except with something that is truthful, consider how it is that people will not cry out to Jesus and go to him for the need of salvation unless they see who he is. You see who he is and you cry out. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says this, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And when you see that and recognize that, you cry out for that and you are saved. And so then Paul takes the logic even farther. You cannot believe without hearing. And I just love how Paul is giving us in this passage this nice, easy-to-follow progression of thought. He's basically going to conclude telling us you need to take the Word of God out because the faith comes through hearing. But he walks us through. Like we all want people to get saved or we all should want people to be saved. We all should want them to make this wonderful profession of faith. And so he says, they, how will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And then notice this, and how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? You can't actually believe in Jesus if you've not heard about who He is. If you don't know some things, if someone hasn't told you about Him. Let me use kind of a silly illustration. And if you don't find it silly, I apologize because I'm not very good at being silly uh, and telling jokes. But, but imagine this. Someone comes up to you on the street and they say to you, would you like to join the blue team? Yes or no? Anybody want to join the blue team? Come on, it's the blue team. But you don't know what the blue team is about. So, uh, continuing our idea, suppose you say, no, I, I don't really want to join the blue team. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't even know what the blue team is. But you say no. And the person says, well, the mission of the blue team is, is to take care of needy children. You must hate children because you don't want to join the blue team. Well, you didn't know. Suppose in this goofy scenario, you say, yes, yes, I'd like to join the blue team. You seem so excited. You're so passionate about blue team. You have a nice blue shirt on. I want to be in the blue team. And then the person says, great. The mission of the blue team is to tell people about the intergalactic aliens that are one day returning. And, And please sign over your entire checking account to us because that's what blue team members do. And you're like, whoa, what what crazy cult did I get myself into? The point is you're not going to believe or become a part of or sign up for Team Blue until you've heard what it is about. And and by analogy, the same is true. People are not going to believe in Jesus until they have heard about Him. And even so they have heard about why they need Him. 
The Puritans used to say you need to preach the law of God before you preach the gospel. Meaning this, if you're sharing the good news of the gospel, you also have to kind of explain what the bad news is. Why is it such good news that Jesus came to die? Well, let me tell you about how we are all sinners. And so even in our context in America, you cannot just walk up to someone and say, do you believe in Jesus? Would you like to believe in Jesus? Because people have multiple different ideas about who Jesus is and what he did. It's like asking someone, do you believe in God? It really is a meaningless question because everybody has a different idea about who God is. There's the God of the Bible. There's the God of other religions that we could start naming them. There's gods that people make up in their own ideas. So even when you are sharing the gospel, you're not just walking up to someone and say, hey, would you like to believe in Jesus? Hey, would you like to join Team Blue? Want to be on Jesus' side? Sometimes in the American church, we, 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 we even say, you know, would you like to accept Jesus? Which well, isn't necessarily bad language, but we never explain who or what Jesus, who Jesus is or what he's done. And so we're kind of like walking through a cafeteria line with these people. And it's like, hey, would you like potatoes on there? Throw some Jesus into your life. That is not what the gospel is about. And so Paul is saying, we need to hear, or people need to hear if they're going to believe in him. And so then he says at the end of verse 14, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Someone's got to communicate this message. Someone's got to be the herald. Someone's got to go out and say, this is what Jesus has done. This is who he is. Let me tell you about his death. Let me tell you about his resurrection. You got to start even earlier. Let me tell you about his life. Let me tell you how he's the son of God. Let me tell you how he died and rose again and why he did it. Preaching the gospel is also not just sharing your personal testimony, although you can use in part your personal testimony. But we're not just telling people what Jesus has done for us. A Buddhist could come up to you and tell them, tell you what Buddha has done for him. And they've been very motivated to make life changes and it's made a difference in their life. And so what makes Christianity better than Buddhism? Because both sometimes evidence change lives. You can have a Buddhist who is very passionate and shares their testimony. When we share the gospel... We're sharing the truth about who Jesus is and what he did. And this is the non-negotiable. This has to be laid out in every faithful gospel presentation. There needs to be a preaching or a sharing or an evangelism of the word of God. Let me just make two implications or applications from uh, this this morning. Let me ask the question, and don't all look at your watches when I ask this question. Why do we spend 45 minutes on a Sunday morning preaching? See what I mean? Don't don't look at your watches. Why do we spend, and, and if I'm honest, sometimes it creeps up into 50 minutes. Why? Because we need to hear the Word of God. And just as, as the hearing of the Word of God brings people to saving faith, the hearing of the Word of God strengthens our faith. 
The whole purpose of, of gathering as a church, one of the purposes in our worship of God, is to make sure that we hear from God. Now, I am not God, but the Bible is the Word of God. And we spend time walking through a passage of the Word of God so we can hear the Word of God, so that it can strengthen our faith as we hear about Jesus. Just as it was when you first got saved, someone shared something with you about Jesus and the Holy Spirit worked to open your eyes. It is because without the message, there is no faith. Christianity is first and foremost a truth that is centered on a message. Who Jesus is and what he did. So how can we be a people who are centered on the word of God without using the word of God? Where Jesus Christ is not preached, Jesus Christ isn't worshipped. Where Jesus Christ is not preached, Christians do not grow in the faith. Where Jesus Christ is not preached, a church is not healthy, nor is it, in some extremes, even a church. Now, the healthy Christian walk entails more than just hearing, preaching, and teaching, but it does not go without a steady diet in the Word of God. And so, as a church, we've made it a priority to be very centered in the Word of God, because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Second, people cannot come to salvation unless someone preaches the gospel. And I don't mean that everyone has to be a pastor standing behind a pulpit. And that's not what Paul means. I mean, I would be very honestly surprised if Paul ever stood behind a pulpit. I like pulpits. They let me put my notes out. But in the ancient world, they didn't have pulpits. And that's fine, but they still preached the Word of God. And not even in always informal settings, but when you talk to someone and you share a Bible verse and you tell them something about Jesus, you are, in a sense, preaching the Word of God. And so in that sense, I'm perfectly comfortable saying there's, as believers, we should share the faith. Preach the Word of God. We should talk to people about Jesus. We should communicate the truths of the gospel. You may not think of yourself as preaching, but there is a sense in Paul's language here that that is what you are doing. You are not just sharing what Jesus did for you. You are talking about what the Bible says Jesus did. He died on the cross. Here's why you need Him as a Savior. Here's why I needed Him as a Savior. He rose again from the dead. All of those things. This means that preaching the Word of God, sharing the Word of God, taking the Word of God, it can be at church. It can be on the street. It can be in your home with your children before their bedtime as you share the faith with them. It can be giving someone a tract. It can be starting a conversation with your neighbor Don't just assume that they know you go to church or they care why you go to church. But you go over and you start to say, hey, have I ever told you about why church is so important to me? Well, it's because of Jesus. Have I ever told you who Jesus is? Have you ever thought about who Jesus is? And you can even ask some leading questions in that respect. You don't have to walk up to them and be all preachy. 
You don't have to come with some kind of like fire and brimstone sermon, but you do have to engage them and you do have to take the word of God. And guess what? That is every believer's responsibility. That is every believer's calling. You can't just wave at your neighbors and smile and say, well, they can see Jesus in my life if you never talk to them about it. Now, don't be hypocrites, right? Uh, Jesus says that, that the world will know that we are his disciples by our love for one another. So we should be loving. We should have a care for our neighbors. Uh, but at the same time, don't assume that you can use this quote, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words, and you're doing a good job of evangelism. It's not evangelism if you don't share the words about who Jesus is. And they won't come to saving faith if they don't hear who Jesus is. So second this morning, in order to hear the gospel, we've already been saying this, but in order to hear the gospel, people must take the gospel. So look at this. People must be sent out. Look at verse 15. And how can they preach unless they are sent Paul envisions here people being sent out to take the gospel. And you can look through multitudes of Scripture. I'm just going to read a few for you. You know these well. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go, therefore. It's in the imperative there. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you, Uh, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. John 20, verse 21 Jesus said to them, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Think of how Jesus came to earth. He says, So... Even so, I am sending you. So just as Jesus was sent out from heaven, we are now sent out into the world to be sharers of the gospel, to be evangelists, to be missionaries. All of us, in one sense or another, is a missionary. There are certainly people that are sent out specifically to be preachers or pastors or even more formalized missionaries who raise support. Paul himself was an apostle, a special commission. But the root word for apostle just means sent. And there is a sense where everyone is sent. So there's apostle with a capital A, those who had witnessed the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ and had, had firm and solid testimony and wrote down uh, the early scriptures. And then there's all of us who are apostles with a lowercase a. We're all sent out. Second Corinthians 5:18 and following. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to give himself. Uh, to himself, excuse me, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us 
the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, and we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what it means to to share the gospel. This is what it means to preach the gospel. That God has this message about Jesus and Jesus is bringing people back to God into a relationship with God. Reconciliation. And God makes His appeal through us. Like we are ambassadors. Like here's this kingdom that God rules over. And here we are in a foreign land with with enemies all around us, with people that are even hostile to the Gospel. And what does an ambassador do? Let me tell you about my king. Let me tell you about the peace treaty he wants to have with you. Let me tell you what Jesus did to establish this peace. That you can know God, that you can be a part of his family, his kingdom, and that you can be at peace with God. But ambassadors are only good so long as they are faithful to the message that the king gave them. What kind of ambassador would it be if at a party he was saying, well, let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you what I've done. Let me tell you about my experiences. Now, the ambassador brings the message from the kingdom. He represents someone else. And when you share the gospel, that's exactly what you're doing. Second, the Great Commission, which we had already read, applies to everyone. And we should not say, well, I'm, I'm not a missionary, so I don't, I don't have to do that. There is an appropriateness to, to seeing people who are called into ministry, ministry full-time to missions and helping them raise support and, and being a church that supports uh, missionaries in those endeavors. And yet, at the same time, it is not only the job of the pastor to share the word of God. Let me just make the obvious statement that you at your place of work know more people. If we were to count up how many people you know at work, you know more people in this room than I individually know. You have connections and family and friends and neighbors that I will never probably meet or never have an opportunity to share the gospel with. But God has put you there in their life and given you the opportunity. And I don't know some of you work at Christian schools and other places, and so maybe not at work, but other places as well. Let me also say, when you think about our nation right now, we have this just awesome opportunity all around us that 50 years ago missionaries couldn't even dream of. The missions movement, the modern day missions movement, uh, started primarily after World War II. Uh, a lot of times people coming back and realizing there's all these places out there in the world. Uh, there were certainly missionaries before then. I'm not trying to minimize that. But, but in the 1950s and 60s, there was just this huge groundswell of we need to send out missionaries. And they took the gospel to all these places. And that is awesome. But you look now at what's happening with what we call globalism. You know, people are traveling everywhere all over the world. People from these foreign countries where we could never get a passport or a permanent visa to are coming here to the United States. And they're moving in as your neighbors. And they're moving in down the street. And they're living in Center City, York, or over in Lancaster, or down in Philly. There are more opportunities, I dare say, in America for foreign missions than there are in places overseas. And it is awesome. 
And it is amazing. And this is where, as a church, we need to, to realize we are all called to be missionaries. That, that how will these people hear unless someone takes them the Word of God? And, and how, why would someone go if they don't know that they're sent? And it is beautiful to your feet when you take the Gospel to these people. It is wonderful. And God delights in doing that. And, and let me just say one more thing about the Gospel in light of some of current politics. Don't make politics more important than the Gospel. Sometimes we fret about immigrants and what it'll do to our country if we get too many here. And and I'm not here to solve the politics or even deal with it. But I will say this. When someone comes to the United States, they fall into one or two categories. They are either a brother and sister in Christ or they are someone who needs to hear the gospel. And we need to think about it from that perspective. What's more important to you, that there will be too many immigrants who will ruin the country or that more immigrants will mean more opportunities to share the gospel. God can do some awesome things. And, and, and He's doing it right on our doorstep, where maybe you don't even have to send a short-term missions team to Africa. You can just go down into Center City, York, and you can find a community of people. I have a friend, this just popped into my head, I have a friend who was for a little while a missionary in Africa because of some complications health-wise, him and his wife had to come back. In the time that they were there, they learned Swahili, which is one of the tribal, uh, the broad trade languages in Africa. Uh, they are planning a church down in York. They're doing kind of an inner city work, very different uh, kind of context and culture. They do a lot of small home groups. She was in the grocery store. I think it was Walmart. And she found someone that only spoke Swahili that they had come to the U.S. and recently immigrated. I don't remember all, all the circumstances. And they connected, and they, this person was just amazed, like flabbergasted, we would say, that, that they found someone here in little old York County that knew how to speak Swahili because they barely knew any English. Uh, it, it, fascinating. And it's happening all over our country, and we're missing it. It's beautiful then to take the gospel to those who are not heard. Look at uh, the end of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Uh, I don't know about you, but my feet smell. <laughs> like you don't want to be at my house at the end of the day when I take my shoes off, especially if I've been doing something sweaty. I mean, they reek. And you think about the ancient context, the ancient culture, and they're wearing like open toe sandals uh, and they're walking around in the sand and the dust and uh, their feet would have been ugly. This was not like ladies at the end of the day, you go out and you can get your pedicures and they look really nice and sweet. And oh, how beautiful are these feet? They're nasty. And so think of the contrast here. Feet are nasty. And, and what is this scripture quoting Isaiah saying? How beautiful are the feet that take the good news, who preach the gospel. Meaning, you're using your feet to walk somewhere, to take the Bible to someone, to share the gospel, so that they might come out to salvation. That's amazing. That's wonderful. It's, it's a metaphor. You have beautiful feet. Maybe not literally, but the fact that you've used what God has given you to carry the Word of God is a beautiful thing. This verse actually comes from Isaiah 52. 
and and um, turn to Isaiah 52 if you're following along. Isaiah 52, verse 6 through 10. I want to just I just want to read this for you, and I'm, I'm kind of going to give you a, a mini sermonette from Isaiah here because I want you to see how this connects to Romans. I want you to see how the fulfillment of the gospel going to all nations was promised in the Old Testament. Like, this is what amazes me about the Word of God. This is what amazes me about the Gospel. God had laid down this promise hundreds of years before He fulfilled it in Jesus to say, the Gospel is going to go to the nations. Because God has a love for the nations. Anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read Isaiah 52, verses 6-10. through 10. Therefore, my people shall know my name, Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the Lord, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of are God. Get excited. Sing. This is awesome. God had this plan and look what He did and as He redeems the people, not only does He redeem people out of uh, the Jewish background and heritage, but He redeems the Gentiles just as Paul has said at the beginning of Romans to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul is saying, Isaiah is being fulfilled. Let me note four things from Isaiah here. First, notice that Isaiah 52 comes before Isaiah 53. You're going like, well, that's, that's obvious. What is Isaiah 53 about? The suffering servant. Jesus dying on the cross is the prophecy there. Isaiah is setting this up. This language here of the good news. It's gospel. It's interesting to do a study to see the background for the term gospel that Paul has. Uh, one, you can study some of the Greco-Roman background when kings were born, uh, royal announcements, that was all called gospel and good news. But, but an even deeper background is the number of times that it is used in Isaiah. So there's a different word for the Hebrew, right? But when they translated the Hebrew into the Greek, they used the word euangelion, gospel. Uh, and it has the same meaning between Hebrew and Greek. It's a fascinating little study there. Second, notice what the good news entails. Look at verse 7. What do you publish, salvation, when you say it? What do you say to Zion? Your God reigns. Some of you probably know where I'm going with this. There's not a faithful proclamation of the gospel without the message that God reigns in the person of Jesus Christ. You have to declare, Jesus is what? Lord. 
be why. What has Paul just said? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. The reign of God. Which is why in our passage in Romans, Jesus is Lord means both that He is God and that He rules as King. Preaching the good news of the Gospel entails announcing His reign and His rulership. You're saying He died on the cross. He paid a penalty for sins. He is a perfect Savior. You are also saying He rose again from the dead. His death has value because He lives. You are also saying Jesus is the King, the Messiah, the Lord, who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why should someone believe that Jesus will save them? Because He has the power to save them. Look at what He did on the cross and look at where He's standing or sitting now at the right hand of the Father. Part of the Gospel message is announcing not just Jesus saves you, although it is that, but it is Jesus the King saves you. That there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the offer to you now is please believe this because this is your only hope of salvation. And if you take a pass on this, if you say, well, you know, just later or whatever, you will stand before this one who reigns, this one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you will be judged for your sin. Please believe what I'm telling you, you can say when you share the gospel. I need this. You need this. The lost world needs this. Because God reigns. And this is good news. Third, rejoice. Rejoice in the gospel. And you can see it throughout that passage. Fourth, the gospel has always been intended to go forth to the nations. Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 52. The Lord has bared his holy arm. I think of, I I don't want to be crass thinking of the Lord there, but I do think of those guys that work out. And they have that, that phrase, you know, the guns are out, meaning your big arms are. The, the imagery here is God brings his guns out, his holy arm, as he exercises his strength and his power in sending Jesus Christ, in crucifying on the cross, and he bears it for all the nations to see so that the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And Paul is saying, in effect, how can they see if no one goes and tells them What's happened? How can they share in this joy if no one announces it to them? If no one proclaims it? If no one takes it to them? If the Gospel brings you joy, it should bring you joy in sharing it and talking about it with other people. And I fully admit, in my life, there are times where I don't bubble over with a joy for the gospel as I should. But that's not how it's supposed to be. It should be a a natural conversation. Believe me, when I was dating my wife and when we were engaged, and and even now, too, because I love my wife, it's not hard to talk about your, your spouse or your, you know, when you're in that young puppy love phase, especially. It's not hard to talk about how joyful she makes you feel and how wonderful she is. And you just, it rolls off your tongue. Hey, have you heard I got engaged or I'm dating someone or we set a wedding date? This is so exciting. 
does the gospel bring us that much joy that it rolls off the tongue? If you want to win a beauty contest, share the gospel with someone. Beautiful feet take the gospel to people. I say that tongue-in-cheek. If you want to win a beauty contest, share the gospel with someone. Because that's really how beautiful it is. We don't save people. God saves people. But we are the handlers of the message who carry it out. And that is beautiful. And when you share the gospel with someone, don't put the pressure on yourself. Remember, your role is simply to be a faithful messenger. I'm sure we've all had those times where we're like, oh man, I wish I would have said more. They, they had this nasty response and they had this debate question and they, you know what? Were you faithful to the message as best you could be? Maybe you feel like, oh, I shared the gospel and, I, and, and you think of it and you're like, I couldn't close the deal. I asked them to believe and they said, well, now think about it. And then you feel like a failure. When someone rejects the Word of God, you are not the failure if you have faithfully brought the Word of God. You can walk home and say, my feet are beautiful. I don't know if they really are or not, but you took the Gospel is the point. Don't put the pressure on yourself to save people. Your mission is to be the faithful messenger. Third, then, this morning, share the Gospel because faith comes through hearing. Look at verse 16, if you will. Notice this idea that not all who hear will believe. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? This is actually a quote from Isaiah 53, verse 1. You'll remember Isaiah 53, verse 2 says, He, Jesus, was despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one whom men hid their faces, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Down through the ages... Even from the early days of Jesus' ministry, people have always been rejecting the good news about Jesus. Isaiah says, who's believed our message? Meaning, there were people that didn't even believe his prophecy. But notice what Romans 10.17 says. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. People need to hear the gospel. How does God use the Holy Spirit to plant faith into their hearts? God uses the faithful minister of the Word of God, the faithful friend who shares the Word of God, the faithful missionary who labors in a foreign field trying to win a friendship with someone so they might have the opportunity to sit down over a meal and share what God has done. The neighbor who invites their their neighbors over for a barbecue and says to them, have I ever told you about why I go to church and who Jesus is? Have you ever thought about the Bible? Let me tell you about Jesus who is recorded in the Bible. But faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Let me say this this morning. First, have a confidence in the Word of God. Each of us should have some Scripture memorized. For some of us, it's John 3.16. You should know it by heart, maybe. 
Others, I like some of the verses in Romans. You go Romans 3.23 and then Romans 6.23 and then maybe Romans 5.8 and then you finish up with Romans uh, 10.9 and 10. But we need to share the Word of God with people when we're trying to evangelize. But have confidence in the Word of God. Like, this is not about you trying to persuade people to God. This is not about you trying to convince them. This is you being an ambassador. And who will do the work if I am just faithful? If I am faithful to the message, God will do the work as He sees fit. And so, when you're sharing the Gospel, pray. I mean, it sounds so simple, right? But obvious. Pray! Why? Because we believe that God saves people. Right? God saves people. Somebody be excited, right? Amen, right? So what does he use? He uses the Word of God. It means I just... It's, it's like the parable of the sower. What does the guy do with the Word? He just scatters it out. You just share it. You just talk to some people. Sometimes we worry so much, and I'm like this, we worry so much about what we're going to say, we never actually say anything. But have a confidence, not in yourself. Oh, what if I say it wrong? What if I mess up? Have a confidence in the Word of God. Well, at least I got some Scripture in. God can do the rest. Second, we want to be a faithful church that sticks to the Word of God. And and this is why. Because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of God. A number of pastors have used this line. I heard it from Mark Dever. He might have used it. Other people might have used it before him. But he says, what you win people with is what you win them to. In other words, in today's culture, we have this idea that we have to make things so palatable, so friendly. We have to do all this stuff so that people will like us or they will like our church or they will like what we're doing. And then maybe if they come, then we'll kind of slide the gospel in underneath. And, and it's kind of like a bait and switch. You, you lure someone in this way and then you switch and you say, oh, now we're going to give you Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with doing things that are warm and friendly and kind and we want to be good disciples and we want to practice and show love. But the point is, you can't manipulate people into the church and into the kingdom of God because faith comes through what? Hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Charles Finney, the evangelist, had this idea that if at his evangelistic services he could just get people excited enough, they would be more open to hearing the Word of God and more likely to believe. And he had this whole program and he wrote a book on it on basically how to manipulate all the circumstances just right so people will be more ready to believe the gospel. That's not how the gospel works. Because the Holy Spirit has to pierce the heart. So we want to be a people that stick faithfully to the Word of God. And third, do not be afraid to share the gospel with someone. What kind of takes us back to where Romans began. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God. 
That means when we are sharing the gospel, when we as a church are gathering and even as believers reminding ourselves of the gospel, encouraging ourselves in the gospel, saying to ourselves, yes, Jesus is Lord, when we are being a a gospel-centered church, God's power is at work. When you see someone come and they place their faith in Jesus Christ, you have just witnessed a miracle. You have witnessed a new creation being born. It, is, it, it would be just like being back in Genesis 1 and hearing God say the words, let there be light, and watching it come into existence. Because you are watching God say into that person's darkened, dead in sin, spiritual heart, or unspiritual heart, let there be light. And they are seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And they are believing because God does a miracle. Because God's power is at work. And that is what the Gospel is. And that is why we share the Gospel. And that is why the only hope for ministry and the only hope for our church and the only hope for doing evangelism is sharing the gospel. I'll say one more thing quick. Aaron, I I love the drums and I love that you use your talent. But Aaron and I both know drums don't save people. The gospel saves people. A hundred years from now, if the Lord isn't back, who knows what church music will look like. Who knows what styles will be like. Who knows what will... We'll move beyond pews and chairs and we'll have like hover chairs or something. We'll have to swap these out for something new. And none of that matters because that doesn't save people. The gospel saves people. It's the power of God. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just... Thank you for this day and, and we praise you and we want to worship you and we want to just be we want to be centered on the gospel and reminded of how good Jesus is and that that in the person of Christ, you reign and you rule and you are saving people. and You have saved us. Oh, God, we did not deserve these things. And yet you have worked in our hearts and worked in our lives. Give us compassion for the lost who who have not heard these things. That we would be tender and brokenhearted because we know what it was like to be a sinner dead in sin and be brought to new life through your work. Give us courage to share the gospel more and a confidence to say that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.